0: You are listening to the Liquid Flannel podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska is Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going, dude?
1: Whew, I'm doing all right. I did Habitat for Humanity today, so I might be oh, nice. working through some heat strokes. So if I pass out, just splash some cold water on me. We'll keep going.
2: That would not be the first time that's happened, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: No. <laughs> as weird as that is, that is actually true, Matt. But you were actually supposed to be in Florida here, weren't you? For uh, Um, Make-A-Wish, but obviously that didn't happen. So you decided uh, I guess I'll just serve the community, right?
1: Yeah We're putting that back till October, but I'm still here and helping out while I can
0: wishing to be helpful That's a good deal. Good deal and joining us as usual in Arlington, Texas being helpful down there is the great Matthew Hodges Matt How you doing man
2: man? I could not be more Pleased to be a citizen of the Republic of Texas, because it turns out that Mm -hmm. this senator that we have that we all thought was some sort of weird uh, robot made out of Bibles. (laughs) Bible bot also likes stepmom porn. And it's like so humanizing, you know, he's he's human. Wait, (laughs) is that the genre of porn that oh, yeah. he was
0: liking and hey, that's I, on twitter. i heard it wasn't
1: him he said it wasn't him <laughs> dude
0: that is that's not even actual porn that was like what just a tweet about porn
2: and i mean what, that. is
1: there a difference to ted cruz
2: apparently there's porn on twitter but i man I, I don't know how you find that that seems like a weird thing to find
1: only ted cruz ted is cruz is that.
2: literally the kid that would go into the library
0: at the elementary school and write, I like this on the sex section of the encyclopedia.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I like this. He went through every copy of The Hobbit and changed Bilbo to Dildo in each copy classic or no
0: changed it to the Bobbit or something you know (laughs) but we got to get off of your heroes down there in Texas and talk about someone that's actually worth talking about which is the great guest that you found for the show right
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah totally yeah we've got a cool guest so we've been talking on Twitter about bringing her on the show for a little while here but yeah she's involved in the Western Montana DSA She's, uh, if you're on Twitter at all, you probably see her tweeting about country music and the problems with the democratic political machine. We've got Aaron Goudreau on the line. Aaron, welcome to Liquid Flannel. Welcome.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And audience, we can assure you that she had nothing to do, and neither did any of the DSA in Montana, had nothing to do with those fires. So <laughs> rest assured.
3: No, we're actively trying to put, we. Other people with more skills than I are trying to put them out slash (laughs) save cattle slash like try not to be ill constantly.
0: All the DSA is doing is igniting the hearts and the minds of the good free thinkers.
3: Yeah,
1: Collective action. if, If everyone can just toss a couple buckets on there, pretty soon it'll be out. There you go. There you go.
3: That's all it takes. I have a friend who is currently in the middle of a legal battle with workers comp because he got seriously injured fighting fires, wow. and they're responsible for paying for his surgery and they are not doing it right now
0: <laughs> really so does he work for a private company or a public company then
3: yeah no it's a private company because they oh. both have i mean there's so many fires and they're so bad that it's basically all hands on deck so you have sure. the forest service and you have like the actual like fire station here public sector employees but then you also have private fire companies that are contracting people out and of course they're the ones being super shitty about paying for all the surgery he needs
2: well i'm just saying you know probably the shareholders aren't affected by those particular fires. So that's just the free market working things out.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everything is right. everything is running the, the as it should. Hand.
0: Yeah. The the invisible hand giving your friend the finger. So, Jesus. Man, that would be a good t-shirt. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Incredible. But, but aside from fires, we've got a whole bunch of other things to talk about, don't we, guys?
2: Yeah, I think just a uh, a number of regional topics and uh, maybe a little discussion about what our role is doing some regional podcasting. That's right. The regional topics will tie into
0: kind of the overall theme I think we're trying to get at. The idea that there's more to progressivism than just the coastal cities. Absolutely. Without further ado, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in.
3: To watch now, we're getting a better understanding of just how bad this fire season has been. More than 1 million acres of land has burned in Montana so far. That's the third most acres in a single year in the last 20 years. Democratic Senator John Tester said Congress is ignoring climate change, which is leading to historic drought and severe fires in Montana and elsewhere in the West. So far, Congress has taken no action or any aid package or other steps to help states impacted by forest fires um yeah so basically the state of montana is engulfed in flames um it's it's much it's like out there. It's, it's yeah insane. it's the the big sky country the sky is not visible people it's not even remotely visible the mountains aren't visible it's mm. really sad it's really nasty right and um we we don't have enough fighting power to fight these fires. Like part of it is just that they're really bad and part of it is that we don't have the funds that we need to like act like effectively, you know, fight these fires. It's a problem.
0: So is there a state of emergency declared then, I take it, or
3: so it's always based on what um there's like sort of a, a scale from like, you know, fine to hazardous, basically, that we are always somewhere along the scale of. And so for example, on Labor Day, which was the worst day in the Missoula era area of Montana, which was the mo- which was the smokiest area in the state, we were at hazardous. So that's the highest it can be. So that's where it's like it, that's when it's like 125 degrees in Phoenix, and they're like, "Don't go outside, please! Like you're gonna kill yourselves." That's right. what it was here, basically. Where it was like, if if you do not need to be outside, you need to not be outside. And like the couple people that were biking or walking to work had bandanas around their faces. And so we've had mm. a few days like that. But normally it's been like one gradation lower than hazardous where you shouldn't be outside if you're a child or elderly. And if you're not that, then just keep it to a minimum, basically.
1: Right. Because whoever needs to go outside really right. for yeah. any reason, I yeah. Mean, just yeah, just avoid it if you can. What well, do you have a job or something that you need to
3: leave the house? Come right. on
0: I, You know, I mean, I go <laughs> outside sometimes, but I usually keep the breathing down to a minimum, which is the key. So. Yeah.
3: <laughs> You know, and also it's like this is not a thing that we would normally be complaining about because we're used to this on some level. Like it happens every summer. It goes into September. It's not a big deal. So the fact that everyone here is constantly talking about it is just indicative of how abnormally bad it is.
1: Right. And it's so crazy that even here in Omaha, we, you know, walked out one day a couple weeks ago and we're like, man, it looks really weird and hazy out. Uh, And it was because all the smoke from all these fires in, you know, Montana and in the Canadian Rockies and uh, in the Northwest and all that had, you know, the smoke had like gotten into the upper atmosphere and and migrated all the way down here to Omaha. So it's it's not it's funny because it's one of those situations where it's easy for people to just say like, oh, it's just Montana. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. Like, don't use my tax dollars to do it. But it's like, well, no, it actually does. It
3: affects a lot of
2: people. Yeah, sure.
3: Yeah, and there was a little bit of like, people here were being a little like, you know, pissy when it started happening in California and then it felt like everyone paid attention. They were like, it's been like this here all summer. No one cares about us. And like, that's true. (laughs) But also it's like all this stuff is, is connected. Like if, if it happening in LA makes people care for 10 minutes about the fact that the entire West is like straight up on fire, I'm, In favor of
2: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and so you've got half of the West, so it's Montana, uh, not so much California this year, but certainly the Pacific Northwest, uh, Oregon in particular, wildly on fire. And then you have like half of the South and Southeast that's currently underwater. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing there where people, you know, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So when Harvey hit, it felt kind of surreal that yeah. only normally a four-hour drive away, people's houses were getting wiped out, mm-hmm. um, and they're telling us to prepare for ten to thirty thousand refugees here in the the DFW area, and yet life here was pretty normal. You yeah. know, it, it sprinkled a couple of times. Yeah. So I I can understand why it doesn't resonate with people so much. What I can't forgive is federal legislators who don't recognize the thing as being a national issue
3: yeah right and we have i mean we have that to a hyper extent because we have one of somebody who like supposedly should be thinking about us like the forgot whatever the forgotten state and because we have ryan zinke in in dc he galloped in on horseback on his first day (laughs) dressed as a dressed (laughs) as a boy scout um doing the cowboy boy scout cosplaying thing and like wait was he
2: actually wearing a boy scout uniform
3: no he was just wearing a cowboy hat which is like that's i'm down with it here but like he did not need to like enter into dc on horseback in a cowboy hat and like a like a bandana and like
2: i'm just saying if if he was if he was uh you know dishonoring the boy scout uniform there are three hosts on the show who would (laughs) (laughs) why we drive simply is just to rough them up a little bit behind the bar. These
0: people, though, they're so arrogant, and it's just—it's like I'm going to go into DC and show them how we do things in the country thinking that they're the first person from freaking Montana (laughs) that's ever been there. And it's like, what, just a bunch of city slicker Montanans were elected in there before you? It's like, give me a fucking break. And
3: it's also apparently showing them how we do things in Montana means denying Montanans extra funding that they need to help fight fires, which is what he did a few weeks ago. So it's like, it's all garbage. It's all like, yeah, it's ridiculous. When you see
2: the same thing with uh, the, you know, the people that The person that Montana just elected to Congress, um, Greg Gianforte, (laughs) like he's not he's not a country boy, you know, he's a what, like a tech billionaire who just decided to go and play a cowboy. Yeah, he's one part tech billionaire, one part WCW
0: cast central casting. You know, right? I mean, this is
3: yeah, wow. Well, this what is Zinke the real identity politics. To be honest, is like this, <laughs> like like these like New Jersey tech people coming in and like putting on a Carhartt jacket and like yes, it's. I mean, it's like it's infuriating. Well, yeah, I think
1: the in the Trump administration, it's almost like you have to be like a caricature. In order for Trump to even see you. So you have to just like play (laughs) it up so that Trump can be like, oh, that's horse guy. Yeah, horse guy. I remember him. Like, He does national parks or something. Yeah, now it's all clicking. Yeah, he learns
2: literally everything he knows he's learned from television. So you have to play to the trope.
3: Yeah, he was was doing Indiana Jones and he's doing it well. But I, I mean, I think it's indicative of
1: the entire Republican mindset because they're now so far gone that they're literally just arguing against like the concept of even just like having insurance and things like that. Right. Where the concept of like, hey, maybe... Everyone, like, pays into a fund, maybe with, like, taxes or something, so that when there are disasters in certain areas, it doesn't totally devastate and destroy that area because right. everybody else who's doing okay can just chip in a little bit and we kind of can spread it around because it's only a matter of time before your area is going to get some sort of disaster Maybe it's not fires, maybe it's droughts, maybe it's tornadoes, maybe it's a blizzard, you know, mm. there's all kinds of different things. No area is going to be immune from ecological crises and natural disasters and stuff like that, especially in, you know, the era of climate change when these things are just getting more and more extreme and more frequent it seems like. Well right. Well
2: and close to my home, you know, it, it doesn't even need to be individual people, like homeowners, regular going to work people who are paying into this kind of fund. Uh Superfund is basically bankrupt and some of the places that flooded toxic metals and petrochemicals and all sorts of disgusting shit into neighborhoods are these sites down in Houston that got flooded by Harvey. And the EPA doesn't have the resources to go in and clean those up because there's no money left. The Superfund was a thing that was funded by the polluting industries, and we can't even get them to chip in on that. Yeah,
3: you know, it's funny, like, it's kind of like talking about the PFD in Alaska, where it's like, these are good ideas. But when you have basically social safety nets that are reliant on the continued profits of, like, very specific corporations or corporate or extractive industries or whatever, like... That stuff is not sustainable, which means that those safety nets are not sustainable. So, like, oil isn't making enough money in Alaska anymore, so Medicaid is half of what it was 15 years ago. Like, it. I mean, this is just everywhere.
0: Well, right. And the other thing is, speaking of language, they've done such a good job of, I guess, in some weird way, communicating to people that – they're not your community those people over there that's not your community you're part of the hard work community yeah you know you don't need handouts you need true grit and it's like no i mean they're part they may be a hundred miles away from you but we're still all on the same team we're supposed to be and that's the only way that you can solve these natural crises that we're having on the regular now yeah
1: well absolutely They've set up this system where because there's all these underfunded, you know, FEMA's underfunded, all these Superfund sites for cleanup and the EPA are super underfunded. And they want the Republicans want to say, like, well, that's just Washington dysfunction. You know, it's not right. our fault when it's like, no, it clearly is your fault. Like you guys are the party <laughs> right. that's continually pushing to defund those things. Unless it's for you, and then clearly you're going to say, well, now we need this money. Like, this right. is an exception, right? Yeah. And so it turns into a situation where when a blue state, like, has Superstorm Sandy hit New York, then it's a partisan political issue about, like, oh, we're just wasting money for, you know, these people. But when it's a red state, then it's the time for bipartisanship. It's yeah, the time to right. put you politics a, aside. You have mm.
2: stepmom porn cruise. Who voted (laughs) against Sandy aid, but then was getting after people for voting against Harvey aid. Right.
3: And what's annoying about this to me, like this sort of just never ending cynicism of both parties, but particularly Republicans, is that I don't I don't actually think it's representative of like most people, like as whatever as shitty as this country is. And and a lot of the people do like I feel like what you see when you see stuff like Harvey happen is like incredible generosity between like ordinary human beings absolutely, and like that's not Mm -hmm. often what gets ends up getting promoted if you're like watching cnn but like that is what it looks like on the ground that's what it was in new orleans despite like media efforts to portray it as something a lot more sinister than it was like people go to extraordinary lengths to help like others that they don't know but that are part of their communities So it's just really nasty to see, like, it's just super gross, and there's really just, like, no excuse for it to see politicians being this um, petty (laughs) constantly.
4: Right.
0: Well, in a pinch, you know, the average person is going to do whatever they can to help, but it just makes – it's such a ridiculous argument when conservatives or Republicans will say, well, you know, we need – less federal government and, you know, more charities and churches to step up. And then you look at the Joel Osteens who can't even open their doors, you know, in the middle of the actual crisis when you have, like, you've got racist flocking in to help you've got antifa flocking in or whatever their version of help in their mind is Yeah, and then you have churches like shutting the door but republicans saying well we just need more churches to help and we need to keep their uh tax uh deduction or whatever you right. know it's it's so right disingenuous I, I
1: think it is kind of crazy like during the the whole harvey situation that we were seeing you know people saying like oh this is the dsa they're organizing like a food drive or like we're getting mm. you know blankets and we're getting supplies and stuff we're gonna send it right. down and then on the other side you see people who are like we're gun toting right you know yeah. a Whoa. racist Whoa. right-wing gang and we're gonna shoot looters on site yeah, like that's are like, helping we like,
2: lotters like <laughs> will be shoots on site or something right <laughs> yeah. like i mean just yeah terrible. all
3: of all of these events though are such like pick a, pick a goddamn side moments too because you even saw it between yeah. like different kinds of journalists. So you'd have the journalists who are like in the middle of it, like in the middle yes. of them trying to shoot some scene, actually like helping get people into boats versus the journalists who are like right. calling the cops on, I don't even want to use the term loot. looters. It's a ridiculous right. term to use, particularly in the context of a natural disaster. But it's like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but like, just like literally choose a side like be on the side of fucking vulnerable people or don't but like everyone's gonna know where you stand like these, these moments are very clarifying in that way well
0: and you know if i was a politician i would try to make it a law where you would not be able to prosecute somebody that goes into a grocery store in those times because all of that stuff you know when electricity goes out all that stuff is going to be wasted and rotted you might as it's going to be written off there's insurance involved sure it it hurts nobody and helps the community if you just let
2: people try to do what they can to survive yeah. yeah i want to i want to play that clip real quick of uh of frank reynolds talking about the difference between looters and people trying to survive
5: you remember years ago there was a storm in new orleans Hurricane Katrina? Yes. Yeah, I remember it. Okay, mm-hmm. check this out. What do you think those people are doing? Surviving or looting?
4: They're surviving. Uh,
5: okay. Do you remember a man named Rodney King? Yes, of course. Okay, I the LAPD worked him over really good. Yes. Okay. This was taken during the Rodney King riots. What do you think these people are doing? Looting or surviving? Well, they're looting. Ah, of course. Well, it's the media, see? When it's white people, it's survival, and when it's black people, it's looting.
3: No, Frank, it's because the white people are stealing bread, and the black people are stealing speakers. If the white people were stealing stereo equipment, I would say they were looting, too.
5: How do you know the blacks don't have bread and no speakers? What are you talking about? Oh, okay. What are we talking right, listen, about right listen, now? Listen, there listen, are big things look. to do. Okay, calm down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I've I've got a I've got a grievance with you guys now because me being in Texas and you guys being in Nebraska, I'm gonna hold you responsible for it. Um, apparently, uh-huh. Ben Sass is opposed to the Harvey Relief Plan.
1: So they they had this vote, and this was kind of a crazy vote actually because this was the vote where the Nancy Pelosi Chuck Schumer three month debt extension was yes. tied to hurricane harvey relief mm-hmm. and 45 democrats and 33 republicans and the two independents in the senate voted for it and 17 republicans voted against it including both of our senators from nebraska Woo-hoo! uh and <laughs> uh you know go joni, big red <laughs> joni Ertz from iowa some some people from montana too. danes So, you know, it's a real come-together moment over there. (laughs) McCain voted against this, too. Right. Which is crazy.
2: (laughs) That's not that crazy. But it's like, I just don't, I mean... You cannot count on McCain for anything.
1: No, I don't get what would drive someone to do like, even if you can say like, look, I voted for it, but I was opposed to the way that it was brought up or whatever. Like that's a perfectly fine position. Sure, I think sure. to have, but right. to go all the way and just say like, well, I voted. No, I voted to refuse to extend the debt ceiling. And I refuse to give any aid to It's like, what are you even <laughs> right. doing? Like what, how is that defensible at that's all? Not yeah. going to
2: sell. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know what campaign ad they think they're going to cut for, for taking this bold stance.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, Deb Fisher has gone from having nobody running against her to now actually having someone running against her. And so her record is actually going to be more and more on display in terms of votes for aid, also in terms of her vote for uh, Betsy DeVos and things like that, or to confirm her. So hopefully these kind of things are actually... What progressive opponents will spend money on bringing to the public's
1: attention. So. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like you're just giving this away.
3: If anybody could fuck this up, it's the Democrats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right, yep. right. Well, and that's yeah, the thing because well, it just seems like even though they've got these people to take these horrible votes, I can't count on them to capitalize on it because. They instead would rather just say, like, well, look, we're going to just be – Take the high road. We're going to be bipartisan. We're going to take the high road, and we're Mm, not going to hold them and keep hammering what a horrible decision they made because we just want to be nice about it and just move on. And it's like that doesn't help you in the long run to to do that, even though that's probably uh, what they'll end up doing. There's a
3: lot to admire kind of like tactically about – about conservatives as politicians and like the ruthlessness and the seriousness with which they take like attaining power
4: Mm -hmm.
3: and they are super successful at it and like it's absolutely detrimental to communities and there just seems to be no understanding among the like what passes for sort of the the left not like among people but in politics in the u.s of that on any level
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, because they're still trying to play the civility game. They're still trying to, yeah, I, I'm not really sure.
3: It's the civility I mean, it's the game, surgical- yeah. It's pandering well, to a and- center that doesn't exist. I don't know. It's weird.
2: Right. And y'all, uh, to, to kind of tie all of this up, it seems to me like what we've been talking about this whole time is the the intrinsic value of a country that actually pulls together as a political unit. Um, instead of playing games with different regions and the things that they're going through and doing this kind of brinksmanship or gamesmanship. And I think that that's, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not the Republican ideal at this point. Uh, the Democrats kind of head fake toward it, but they don't necessarily pull together either because they're not willing to engage the the rural, if we're using the the shorthand, um, so trying to come up with another group that actually does try to stand for everybody and recognize the value of coming together as a big group of people who have decided we're a nation um, might be the prescription for this situation.
3: I, I think some, I wonder sometimes too, if there's like you know there's been this huge reticent reticence from the, the Democrats for a long time to like speak to morals and values because the right was the religious. Side of the spectrum and i think particularly as yeah. like democrats mm-hmm. became super like to use the term urban to do that rural urban divide became it was very urban it was very non-religious in terms of who, uh, like,
2: post-modernist very yeah.
3: postmodernist, very um you know post-structuralist and i can't abide but like but i wonder too like they struggle i feel like pr- partly because they don't a lot of them don't believe in it but also because i think they have completely forgotten to talk about like how to how how to communicate the idea of like people's fates being bound up in the fates of their neighbors and in their fates in the fates of like people on the other side of the country. Like they don't know how to talk about that. They don't know how to there's all this language about yeah. like the least of these that they could be using. And they just like, like, I was so right. crazy when Reverend Barber spoke at the DNC because it was like, oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, mm-hmm. that is so right. far from the the rhetoric that i think a lot of um democratic especially politicians that are sort of leaders in the party are comfortable I mean, using it's yeah sure. this, this value-laden non-sort of technocratic rhetoric they it is uncomfortable i think for them
1: right and it seems like it's such an obvious thing that should be so easy to do where if you've got the republicans and people on the right saying it's all about the individual individualism Individual ownership, you know, fighting for yourself, bootstrapping it, you know, mm-hmm. re- p- pulling yourself up, doing it all by yourself. That's not a good message. Like, it kind of sounds good, but when you think about it, you're like, that's impossible. It's yeah. not mm-hmm. realistic. And a message that I think would resonate with so many more people is look, we're all in this together. We need to sure. all help each other. We need to all get through this together. And that's such an appealing message, I feel like, to a broad base of people. And it shouldn't be a partisan issue, and it seems so easy and so obvious for the Democrats to be hammering that over and over, but they're just so ineffectual at actually doing it. I just don't understand it at all. Yeah, well, because uh, their version, especially
2: when you've got the Republicans who have kind of the nested version of the other. So it's within the country, uh, within white people, it's the urban and rural divide, and then outside of white people, it's like white people versus brown people or like welfare mothers or whatever. And then outside of the country immediately you've got like the U S versus Mexicans. And then beyond that, it's, I don't know, Syrian refugees or something. They play that game that people do with uh, like team sports where, you know, I hate the other high school's basketball team unless they win. In which case I love them and I hate the next County overs. Basketball team,
3: and I <laughs> right. think that's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of universal policies because, like non-means-tested mm. policies, because what they do is they put like very disparate groups of people into the same, uh, reliant on the same like government programs. So, like basically, when you know, when when. Um, Medicaid, you know, like one of the reasons that I think like welfare has been able to be so, is, is so classed and so racialized and then that is weaponized um, by politicians right. is because of like such a small subset that of the country that it actually affects. And what I like, an example I think of this yeah. is like my, so my family is super reliant on Medicaid because I have a severely, severely disabled um, sibling. And one of the things that's interesting about that is that I think I know that that has shaped my parents' politics because, I mean, my parents already, like, because of their jobs and their our income and what all of it, they were already kind of left. But I think that, like, being on Medicaid, which is basically a program that services disabled people and elderly people and poor people, is... They would never, in a million years, say that there's anybody on Medicaid who doesn't deserve to have it, because for them it's like how yeah. easy would it be for somebody to say that about our family when we would be underwater without it? And so I think that like when you have programs like that that basically have that that pull in people from different communities, you get them you get them supporting and uh, each other when it's not necessarily in their own individual or family interest to do so, and that's really valuable, I think,
1: mm-hmm. for sure. And I think a, a big part of it is just getting you know kind of getting that out there and saying like look there's lots of people that you know are impacted by these and it's not just the person that di- even directly receives the benefit because if they're, they're if they're able to receive medicaid and help their medical expenses then they're not going to move into their parents basement you know what right. i mean they're not right. going to be a drain on their other family and their other community resources they're not going to be in the emergency room you know taking up space you know and all that stuff so It's not even just the direct action, but it's all that kind of like down the chain action that it makes the whole system better for everybody, including better for people who are rich because they don't have to worry about, you know, these people being a a drain on the system because they're not supported. And we've talked about this before about, you know, being able to pay for people to get preventative care which is a benefit to keep them from needing catastrophic care, which sure. can cost like 10 to a hundred times more. Um, so it's just a fiscally more responsible policy. It's a morally more responsible policy. You know, it's a winner across the board.
2: And to bring it back around to, uh, you know, crisis control, like we've been talking about in this section, um, better funding for hurricane prevention measures, better funding for, Catastrophic funds to fight wildfires, or being able to send people out into the into the bush to like cut brush that makes the wildfires even worse. You know, everybody benefits from this stuff.
1: You know, or even basic things like having zoning regulations that say you can't build your expensive condos literally in like a flood reservoir. Right. Or you shouldn't have
2: chemical production plant. (laughs) Right.
1: Or you shouldn't have. You know, unsecured high rise cranes, you know, in Miami during a hurricane, you know, (laughs) common sense rules and (laughs) things like that um, that could make sense. And even just having, you know, they had the flood insurance policy that the government started, you know, forever ago to try to avoid having to continually pay out all these disaster relief elements. And because they have criminally underfunded it so much. They're just back to the same situation again. So there well, are. I don't know why you're trying there, to but...
2: why you're trying to make all of these disasters political, Brendan. I mean that <laughs> exactly. seems really cynical in the face of a bunch of people losing their homes to talk about the politics that may have caused them having to leave their homes.
1: Clearly, when yeah. the disasters are happening, it's not the time right. to talk about disasters and how they can be prevented and 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 helped.
0: Yeah, right. and but also it's funny because choosing not to talk about it is a political act. So you're making it political when you're not talking about it. Too. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs>
2: so, um, man, I think we I think we tied that up pretty well. Let's take a little break, and we can jump back into some more of these these meta issues.
1: Yeah, I know you had some Texas stuff that you wanted to talk about. You see it.
2: This episode of Liquid Flannel and the following message are brought to you by Rocket Mortgage from Squicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage gives you confidence when it comes to buying an interstellar vehicle or refinancing your existing space station loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply and understand all the Delta Vs so you can mortgage confidently. To get started, go to elonmusksbargainbonanza.com slash liquidflannel. Equal housing lender, licensed throughout this galactic quadrant. So I have some... Not super exciting news from my home state and our home region. Uh, and it all kind of revolves around some issues that we've talked about on the show before with voting rights and gerrymandering. Um, two two stories that kind of go together. One, just today, we're recording on Wednesday, the 13th of September. Uh, just today, the Supreme Court put a hold on the orders from the Texas District Court saying that Texas couldn't use these two congressional districts in the 2018 election. Uh we've talked about this before. One of those is uh Blake Farenthold, uh who's mm. a who's a favorite of the of the show. Yes. Um, and these
1: are districts that the uh, courts have previously found were like clearly drawn in like a illegal partisan way.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what had happened, actually, is that these districts ended up going to court at some point, and the district court came back and said, look, we're just locking these in for now. They Or they kind of adjusted some borders and said, look, this is going to be good enough for your, your next election. So... <laughs> but they they didn't solve any of the problems, any of the the racial gerrymandering that's clearly going on. If you ever look at the neighborhoods in like San Antonio and Austin, uh, the way these districts are drawn. Uh, but the state's defense in this case was, well, the court gave us these districts, um, so you know if the if the court was wrong about that, they're probably wrong that they're they're racist to begin with, which. Is a terrible conclusion because the court wasn't trying to <laughs> fix that.
4: <laughs>
2: oh yeah,
0: and Blake Th- Ferentold—that was the—that uh, was Mister Duel em up with the
2: uh, ladies, right? Yeah, that was Mister <laughs> Wears his pajamas with uh, Playboy bunnies guy. Yes, and challenges female <laughs> members of Congress to duels. Right. So. Gets called hideous or whatever by yeah. Um, by other senators.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who would guess that his district would have some funny business going on here, right? right.
4: But um, yeah,
1: it it is would... a little bit crazy cuz it seems like the whole overturning or or staying the the ruling or whatever is is literally just based on like this arbitrary time deadline. So, I mean, I I, I guess hopefully that means that the underlying like illegal districting problem is still out there and and will need to be solved it just will take longer I, yeah I that's guess. right and really.
2: and that's what people are saying that basically this hold is just until the state and the challengers can get their cases together on the substance of the issue which is are these districts racist um so the the hold is pseudo-temporary uh, in order to let the those counties, those congressional districts, get ready for the 2018 election. It's not going right. to help in 2018, but we also don't know whether the Supreme Court will come back and go, okay, we've actually looked at the merits of this thing, and yeah, these right. are clearly racist. Well, and what
0: do you th- what do you think? I mean, are the districts down there, are people like, well, I think that there's nothing wrong with these districts, or are people like, yeah, this is pretty blatantly
2: obviously well i mean how much do people actually pay attention to the borders of their congressional districts unless they're directly impacted by them right i don't hear a lot of people talking about this at all but (laughs) if you look at the maps it's pretty clear that these were drawn along racial boundaries i mean austin and san antonio are almost two hours apart and yet there's this one little corridor that follows I-35 down that links up those two cities and it turns out that this district ends up including most of the black and hispanic people in those two cities turns out. so <laughs> right oh, what right. a crazy yeah. coincidence yeah well they're fine with that
5: right <laughs>
1: i i guess the the the, the bright side for me is like this is literally like a best case scenario for them is that the Supreme Court would say like, well, hey, that's looking pretty racist, but like we don't want to put you in a rush here. So, <laughs> right, you know, right. <laughs> let's not rush too quickly to fix our racism. You know, let's just kind of let's just kind of slow our roll uh, and really think it through. Uh, and they're like, yay.
0: Yeah, because they're just trying to kick the can down till after right. the every
1: election. every election that they can get with these in there is mm. is just gravy for them right, so sure. they're gonna ride that train as far as it'll oh, go God, these freaking people they and they call it democracy i mean this is i don't know it is crazy but is. again i was just say again i mean this is another issue where you'd think the democrats would be all over this right mm-hmm. it's so clearly blatantly a partisan thing that the republicans are pushing to undermine the democratic process and punish, you know, Democrats and people of color who also happen to be Democrats because of this exact thing. Well, right? And, right. and yet, you
3: never like, hear them talk about it. I was looking it. at a map of the most gerrymandered states in the U.S. And one of the top ones is Pennsylvania, which I did not know. Yep. But, like, so they don't even <laughs> right. have it together on the states that are supposedly filled with all the good people.
4: Yeah, right,
0: yeah, sure. right. <laughs> yeah, man, that's... It's everywhere, but yeah. Hopefully, the Supreme Court will will. Uh, well, actually, never mind. I'm never going to say that again right. for the next few years. Hopefully, well, the Supreme Court will. Yeah,
1: and I, I I try to keep you know as optimistic as I can. But anytime you talk about gerrymandering, it ties into the census and the next census, which sure. is going to redraw all the districts, you know, mm. and reapportion the Congress. Takes place in 2020. So, it's possible we might have a different president by 2020. Yeah. It's possible we might have a different president even sooner if (laughs) Trump resigns (laughs) or something. Right. But either way, you know, I somehow don't think that Trump's administration right now in there is focusing a lot of effort on making sure that – the 2020 census is performed in a way that is fair and, you know, is not racially tinged at all. No, of of course they're not. And in
2: fact, that leads pretty neatly into this other thing, which is a, it's a national issue, but it's also regional for us, right? Because it focuses around Kansas secretary of state, Chris Kobach, who is in charge of Trump's, voter regularity commission or whatever they're calling it the uh the the one who is trying to suss out all of these three million illegal voters that voted in the last election somehow he's gonna find him one of these days it all went for hillary clinton anyway <laughs> right
0: why does that dude look like dick cheney over there in the picture which one is that that's not kobach
1: that's no, uh Bill whatever <laughs> uh but yeah so this guy uh <clears throat> so this kobach guy he wrote a, a column on breitbart of course
0: yeah most trusted course. name in news
1: he claimed that he, to have like proof of uh, like fraudulent voting in new hampshire right, that like yeah. flipped an important vote or something and then they were like oh what what's your please proof? show the proof to yeah. us and he was like oh, i'll get i'll get back to you on that
0: it's anecdotal proof.
2: I mean, well, yeah, it, somebody turned said, out, somebody it turned said out it. Said that there were about 5,000 people who voted in the New Hampshire general election who weren't licensed in New Hampshire and then didn't change their licenses within six months. None of the, none of this is illegal. Uh, New right. Hampshire attracts students and people rule. who right. you know, move there. Uh, yeah, it's under state law. If you're domiciled in New Hampshire... Then you can vote in New Hampshire and you don't have to change mm. your driver's license. Right. Well, New Hampshire's
1: so big, it's hard for people to just move. No, wait. It's like the most densely urban area in the entire country. So it's really right. easy for people to move in and out quite freely. But this just yeah.
0: sounds like a person that clearly doesn't even know what the rules are in his place. And he's just like misstating what they are. Like how well, do we-
1: dude- He's writing a column on Breitbart, right? so he's basically ba- saying, like, I saw a Twitter meme right. that said voter fraud, <laughs> right? And so, yeah. like, are you guys not seeing these Twitter memes? Like, this right. is a serious problem. Seriously. Yeah, he's clearly
2: a propagandist. <laughs> he, he has no regard for what the facts on the ground are. He's pushing the, like, the Heritage Foundation agenda on making sure that we just disenfranchise as many people from voting as possible, because you know the the more you disenfranchise the more you just end up with like old scared white people who watch fox news all the time right yeah
1: the only people who will be able to vote in the, the republican uh, controlled future probably
0: right well because they they've done so well for this country you know they've made a lot of good decisions <laughs> it is, i mean it is
3: such a it's a it's so sort of beautifully consistent though with the original intentions of the constitution like in terms of like who should be making decisions about things? It's
4: like <laughs> right. I, li- I like yep. that our
3: politicians are really committed. To- they're they're all about that original intent reading of the Constitution, yep. and I can respect that.
2: That that explains why so many of the same guys are going to you know they're caping for these Confederate memorials. You know, well so, that's, you
3: know, that's the don't even there is a the Confederate a. memorial in Helena, Montana. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let yeah. me
3: just. This is a state that didn't exist for like a hundred years after the end of the civil war like it's ridiculous (laughs) and we have it because of the goddamn daughters of the confederacy um yeah which is why it's super annoying i just like it's super annoying when like i feel like this is like just a thing that like some white women do but they're trying to make the whole like resurgence of the alt-right also like a misogyny issue and it's like it is kind of but also like it's mostly it's mostly racing um
4: Yikes. But, oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: because it's like this, this is one of those things where it's like we have a confederate memorial because the daughters of the confederacy gifted it to us and the only group of people <laughs> in the state that have been actively like every legislative session proposing a thing of like maybe we should like take this thing down or is are, is the like indigenous like kind of uh caucus that exists within our legislative um seat mm-hmm. and like it's, right. And it's finally coming down because of because in the wake of um, Charlottesville, when all of these states started having conversations again about, like, why do we have this stuff? But my favorite is when it's, like, Montana and Arizona, and then you have to really come to terms with the fact that all <laughs> of these things were erected, like, during the KKK's um, surge, right. not, like, in the immediate right. aftermath of the Civil War. Not that that would make it good I, I, anyway, but it's, like, it's always right. been ridiculous.
2: Well, you've got to you've got to put yourself in the head of like a state legislator or a city administrator or something at the time that the statue was offered, and either they were complicit with the idea or they were like, you know what, that park doesn't have a statue, and like right. one statue is better than no statue, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Well, it's it's great that you brought up that all this has kind of come about as a resurgence, you know ignited by the sh- the incident in charlottesville because at least in nebraska in the city of lincoln they just um introduced and passed an anti-hate resolution inspired by
2: charlottesville you know wow. essentially. And over the strong so, objections of somebody who's made an appearance on the show before right oh <laughs> uh, not not made an appearance but you know uh been part <laughs> of a or something Yeah, who was
1: that? (laughs) That was uh, Uh, our favorite, uh, our favorite Twitter Nazi, our favorite local Twitter Nazi, right? Oh yeah, well yeah, I guess he's
0: made, uh, he's made an appearance through reference, but yeah. So that was the thing in this in this article. Several people. So Lincoln had a town hall where people could get up and speak about this resolution and some other things. And white nationalists showed up to speak um, in opposition of this resolution, and really made a disjointed argument that, well, you know, our founding fathers are great and they did things that weren't considered politically correct. And back then only a certain kind of person could vote and everything worked better, you know? So (laughs) so you had that guy come up and say that, then you had a guy come up and talk about how um, Charlottesville really showed that, you know, the left were the aggressors of the vehicle driver, dude, you know, they, they had had him
2: surrounded and things and then you had... Um, well, they probably the, read that in, uh, you know, the Washington Post and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. I'm New, sure New was, York Times, Wall Street Journal.
1: <laughs> Russian, I mean, Facebook was, trolls, any of those reputable news organizations. <laughs> right. yeah, no, there, was <laughs> a,
2: there was a little meta-analysis that came out just today showing that the it was like the six big media outlets, like print media outlets, published mm-hmm. more articles, more editorials about how Antifa... Were dangerous than they did actually going after the literal fascists, the people who are running people over in the streets,
3: right? And a country, uh, where Wall Street Journal really, being the worst, yeah, no, and in a country where yeah, every not to even remotely draw a, an equivalency here, but um, every state has like at least five active, working, meeting white supremacist groups, and like right. we're getting column right. after column after column about the unfortunate tactics of Antifa. Like, it's, it's absurd.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy that got up to speak was like, you know, there were people with flamethrowers and the media didn't cover it. It's like, yeah, because the media was too busy covering the guy... That shot a gun at the dude with the flamethrower. Right, like, right, who, right. The dude right. with the
1: flamethrower was like worked at an old folks' home, yeah. and was like this was like with an old guy who was like a veteran, yeah. and was like these dudes were trying to get up on me because I was black and I'm right. helping this guy. This oh, this and guy. also
2: it wasn't a fucking flamethrower, by the way. It, it was, was like a spray can, a can, hair can, hair can that somebody threw at his head. That he then lit on fire like we used to do in junior high. I mean, yeah. it's like right. he showed up with a. Yeah. You see, flamethrower, you picture that guy like in World War II like with the big a big gas tank on his like back. It's like the aliens, That's not what this right. was. Well, you know,
0: fortunately, I mean, there were plenty of people to shut him down. But the other great person that was on the alt right speaking was the media darling Katie Mullen, who has gotten prominence here in Nebraska right. for being part of Turning Point USA. And being out there with her big government sucks table. And and turning point,
1: USA is literally just like a college Republican super PAC or funded organization where basically their job is to just, they say they're like counteracting like liberal professors or whatever. But basically their role is to, I mean, their stated goal is like, we want to get liberal professors fired and things like that.
2: Yep. They do exactly the same thing that the uh, Westboro Baptists do, which is they go... They incite some people at a campus. They wait until somebody does something objectionable and then they sue the, the college. It's right. not like they're inciting the response and then they're suing over it. Well, the
0: 100%, but now it's it's working in Nebraska because now we have state senators drafting legislation to allow free speech from anybody on any state campus so you you don't even have to go to school there but if you want to go there and start screaming shit at people they're going to say that's your constitutional right we have a spot
3: on the campus at um for that we've got like a free speech section where there's always somebody like preaching or like from just like off the street like you don't have to be on campus like yeah
0: i'm glad that you mentioned that because honestly aaron this is this is what the issue was nebraska has a free speech zone too and she wasn't in the free speech zone. She was in, she was in the area that yeah. was um, designated for fraternities, sororities, already registered groups or groups that weren't registered as a group on campus but paid the registration fee. She did not pay the fee and wasn't group registered on campus. And then was they're like, well, you can't be here then. You've got to move to somewhere else or we'll call the cops. She's like, but that's not allowing me to do free speech right here. And
1: right. that's what I want free to Free speech do. is everywhere, right? I have the free speech to come into your house and scream at yeah. you about how much I hate the government. So, Look, I mean,
2: yeah. it's not like we have a lawyer in this group, but if we did, he might say <laughs> right. something like, you know, the state does have the ability to regulate the time and place and manner of speech. And that seems like a pretty slam dunk case for the, for the college if they actually wanted to, you know, fight it. Right.
3: Right.
1: I, but I think about this all don't. the
3: time, too. Like... Also, just as a college student, like the part of this that isn't about, um, you know, constitutional free speech rights, but that is instead about just like how college administrations like exercise judgment. And it's so weird to me, like the like that there was any university that thought there was any value in having someone like Milo or like Richard Spencer speak at their university. Like at that point, you're just hoping to get in the headlines as a school. I don't know what the point. I mean, these are not people who. Um, bring anything valuable to any kind of like intellectual debate that we're going to have on campuses between the left and the right or something like it's it's absurd and i don't understand like i genuinely don't understand the thinking behind it as like an administrator that's that's inviting people to a campus
1: well because you just defer you just defer to all these groups right and you say well hey turning point usa action says they're going to pay for it so like whatever i guess sure you have permission to do it you know and but then they are allowing the Them to then say like, oh, the whole university is is accepting of this because, you know, they signed off on it, you know. Right. And I think it just comes down to the whole thing that like the the alt right and all these crazy people out there are now waking up to the fact that kind of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And they were kind of staying in the shadows before because they were like, well, there's no way anybody's going to let any of this fly. And then Trump won. And they were like, oh, wait, no, maybe actually they will. If we start showing up at city council meetings, if we start showing up at universities and just doing this because they'll just let you do anything, you know, if, right, as long right. as you show up yeah. and you have enough people and you have enough money. And I think a lot of other groups are figuring this kind of thing out, too. Right. And that, you know, it's 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 sad, but true. But it's like you need people to go to these boring city council meetings and when a Nazi stands up and says something crazy, you need somebody else to stand up and be like, "That guy's a crazy Nazi." You know, yep. right. that's literally all you have to do. It's not that hard, but it's it's a pain in the ass to have to do it.
0: Well, and this would be a great place. There's a clip of a guy doing just that from that Lincoln Town
2: Hall, and I'd love to play that real quick here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Here's let's go. make that. A, let's make that our break, and then we'll come back to a high
5: note. That's, okay. per- that's beautiful. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you for the privilege, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here in support of this resolution. I've heard uh, two dissenting opinions at begin as, And I would just like to start with a quote from Abraham Lincoln that says, I am a slow walker, but I never walk back. This country and it's walk forward for progress is slow, but it never walks back. This city and its growth from 30 people to the 250,000 plus has been slow. But it will not, I repeat, not walk back. I stand here aghast, but also remembering from one of my tutors that change only happens when everyone is made to feel uncomfortable, that when you work for the change, you yourself must feel uncomfortable, and quite frankly, I am feeling uncomfortable right now because the matter at hand and the resolution that we're looking at and hopefully is planned to be passed is in some parts because of two gentlemen. One, who I could sit here and put on a screen was at Charlottesville, who was part of the violence but chose not to bring that up as he spoke, as his cohort spoke about how he saw it on live stream. Are you going to say that you haven't passed back the stories over a couple beers?
0: Well, you know, that previous section actually kind of felt like what our high notes should typically be in terms of a positive spin to a negative situation. But um, do we have any other kind of high notes that we
1: could talk about? Yeah. So in addition to the Lincoln City Council overpowering the throngs of Nazis who came to testify, (laughs) uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I was doing Habitat for Humanity volunteering today. So I am totally exhausted. But it was a super great experience. I actually got to work directly with the homeowner, Roe. The cool thing about Habitat is people think, oh, it's a charity, they give you a free house. That's not what it is at all, basically. Yeah. They sell you a house at cost, and they keep the costs low by using mostly volunteer labor, but also some paid actual construction workers who make a normal wage, and they're the ones who kind of teach the, the volunteers and help take the volunteers through it and everything. So, yeah, I mean, we were out there, and they have you do real stuff. I mean, it's mm. not just, like, one of those things where it's like, oh, go pull weeds or something. It's like <laughs> we're literally in there, like, framing out walls, like, <laughs> using the, like, nail driver gun to, like, that literally fires, like, a twenty two shell to drive wow. <laughs> a nail into the concrete.
2: Oh, yeah, it's intense, dude. Doing doing Habitat for real, that's – you're literally building a house. You're not just there to kind of dick Absolutely.
1: around. So, I mean, if if Jimmy Carter can do it at the age of 93 – and if i can do it even mm-hmm. though i just you know sit around and podcast all day <laughs> right anybody can do it and it's it's it feels great <laughs> it's really fun and you get to learn stuff you know if you have not had a lot of opportunity to learn how a house gets built you mm-hmm. know from the inside while it's happening mm-hmm. it's fascinating to see you got plumbers and electricians and all these people doing duct work and all kinds of crazy stuff it's very educational how many houses did
0: you guys get built today
1: uh, we just did uh, like forty of them, but that, that you know that's me like much. over the, like the previous ten years. So I mean, I only <laughs> right. did like three or four, but okay. You know, today we we did like a tenth of one. I could probably
0: get about twenty in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, that's great, man. So and the people that the house actually that received the house. They work on it too, don't they? Yeah,
1: and they have to... There's like a require... I think she uh, she has to do like... It's like 100 or 200 volunteer hours for her house and for other houses and other projects Mm -hmm. that Habitat's working on. So, um, you know, they're in there. They're working, you know, way harder than most of the other people Mm -hmm. to get this. And like I said, they still pay for it. They just aren't getting charged profits because the house was built by a nonprofit organization. So mm-hmm. they still pay yeah, a mortgage, right. they still have to do that. Part of the thing that Habitat does too is it also kind of takes them through classes that talk about, you know, here's how mortgage insurance works and stuff like that. Something that actually would be beneficial for every American to get as just part of their education, <laughs> sure. but they skip over that. So they take them through that mm. to set them up for success, you know, once they do it. And it's a con- an amazingly successful program. I mean, most of the people who get the houses are able to use that to you know sustain and make their payments and 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 mm-hmm. fully own the home and then they can sell the home you know when mm-hmm. they want uh, and actually be profitable on that right. too so it really sets them up in a way that maybe if the government was a little bit better at like getting equitable loans to people you wouldn't need this organization <laughs> right but it does great work in in the way that we're at right now
0: you know and that would that just makes me start thinking. Maybe that's how these groups, you know, the Antifas and the uh, oh, white yeah, nationalists, dude. they should all... It's like, you know what? If you want to prove you're superior white nationalists, dude, show me how many houses you can build for the poor. Show Absolutely. You know, that'd be great if there was like competition in that way.
2: Yeah, that's right. Or even just, uh, just organize one of those events like DSA did down in... I think they were in Atlanta, maybe, where they were just reinstalling brake lights for free. Just pull up your car. Oh, New Orleans. Yeah, thank you. Uh, You know, pull up. We will change your brake light for free because people get pulled over for that all the time, and it's stupid. That's a great service. That's a great idea.
0: Yeah, definitely. Does the DSA do anything like that up in Montana?
3: All the Montana DSA chapters, like, just started up. So I'm going to the second ever Western DSA meeting next week. But I know that one of my goals, particularly out here with those organizations, and we're starting up a YDSA chapter at the University of Montana, is to stay kind of away from electoral politics, because it's so infrequent here. And they're not, it's just, that's not a great thing to organize around out here and focus way more on practical things like that. So like, one thing I've been thinking a lot about that if we had a if we had more of an infrastructure right now around um, Western Montana DSA would be like, I know a lot of people whose family members were in Horrific, who, who come from ranching families who are in horrific situations trying to save cattle during these fires. Yeah. And they it takes entire communities of helping to herd cattle into safe spots. And that would have been a, like a beautiful thing for a DSA group to be helping ranch sure. families with. But they're just – it's there's sure. no infrastructure right now. But I'm super in favor of like really the kind of stuff that like you don't think about but that is like life or death stuff for families in terms of whether or not they're – their source of income survived.
4: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: did you have any any high notes to speak of out there?
3: Yeah, mine's mine's a lot more self-serving. Mine has, <laughs> had nothing to do with um, charity or, you know, helping others on any level. But I did have, a few nights ago, um, a bunch of friends and I saw Jason Isbell here, who we're all huge fans of, and it was an amazing show. And everybody came over ahead of time, and we all joined in that communal act of making and eating food. We made bison burgers and we had corn on the nice. cob and it was wonderful. And it's also fun to do that stuff because a lot of times you have one or two people who's like at the end of the month and doesn't have money for groceries and stuff. So like to have somebody over and right. like feed them is really good. So that was super fun. Awesome.
2: That is such a Missoula thing. I lived there for two years myself. And that is quintessential Missoula, Montana. Yeah. Uh, Potluck before a concert. Potluck
3: before a concert. And also like if somebody's like at the end of the month and needs money for food, it's like, why don't you just come over and eat? at my house instead of me giving you my like let me just feed you
0: <laughs> you bet man that's great i need to go live there <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's
3: good vibes
2: i told you to come up and visit chuck when i was living yeah there.
0: that's right it would have but... been cool i hear it's beautiful yeah I, w- I was just not sure of the food that you were making up Now just
3: <laughs> matt's actually
0: matt's actually a great chef so
3: it is, yeah, it's game. If you're not into that, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
2: well, I definitely wouldn't mind trying some bison. I heard it's really good, so. <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a high note this week also, and it comes from the Miss America pageant, of all things. This speaks to tying back into our, our regional interest show tonight. Miss Texas was asked about white supremacists marching in Charlottesville and Trump's response to that and she did not pull her punches. The president said there was shared blame with quote, very fine people on both sides. Were there? Tell me yes or no and explain.
3: I think that the white supremacist issue it was very obvious that it was a terrorist attack. And I think that President Donald Trump should have made a statement earlier addressing the fact and making sure all Americans feel safe in this country. That is the number one issue right now. So it's so wonderful. I was so proud. This is the proudest I've ever been to watch a Miss America pageant. This is beautiful.
2: Right? (laughs) Yeah, she was incredible. She was prepared for that question and she was not afraid to say exactly what needed to be said i guess it kind of shocked me and that was just how
0: little i know about these pageants but it used to always just kind of be a stereotype that the question and answer section would be like if you were a flavor of ice cream, what flavor would you be? You know, those right, kind of yeah. questions. But
1: another like solve racism, you have thirty seconds, go. Exactly. They
2: they went from zero substance. If you were a fairy in the Disney like Tinkerbell universe, what color would your wings be? Yeah.
3: Well know? and then the caricature of Miss America people is that they even if the question is kind of decent, they turn the they turn the answer into something that is clearly like a pat prepared answer that could have been the answer to anything. So I was Right. Expecting her to basically be like, I just think that we all need to come together, basically, to do a love Trump's hate thing. And then she was right. like, No, <laughs> like she was amazing.
0: <laughs> no, that was great. And also in that pageant, that was the first time a North Dakota contestant had won, I think. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, sure. representing the plains again.
3: Our neighbors to the, the east.
2: Well, I'm hoping that we pick up a bunch of North Dakota listeners just based on that reference. There you we'll go. We have to make sure to hashtag it <laughs> when we post it on Twitter. Shout out Bismarck, shout out Ground Forks. Uh, those Absolutely. are the only cities I know up there, but shout out the rest. Yeah, hey, we got nothing against North Dakota, you know. Just we don't have any we don't have any representatives there. So if you want to be our North Dakota correspondent, get in touch with us.
3: I knew people I knew people Thanksgiving of my sophomore year, I knew people who went to Standing Rock to help build outhouses and stuff like that because they were leading into the winter so yeah it's not far from us at all yeah
0: well that was great and also it has been great having you on the show Aaron. thank you very much for joining us
3: yeah thanks for having me it was really fun
0: it's great getting you know the perspective from different areas different progressives out there doing exciting different things so montana we're glad to have montana representation on the show here <laughs> so and alaska
3: yeah. absolutely and I'm,
2: I'm hoping she'll come back and report back if there's anything that's absolutely happening that's big in montana
3: yeah oh, definitely yeah. if there's something if there's any if there's some ridiculous montana story which i imagine there will be at some point or sort of the general yeah dakota is kind of wyoming that space i would be super right. down to come on and talk about it
1: what next else? time your congressman chokeslam buddy. exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> when they yeah. start getting abusive oh you know God. we're gonna need to get the Tonight, uh, yeah. the real scoop there but also why don't you let the audience know where they can find you on social media uh where they can tune into your show those kind of things
3: yeah so i'm pretty sure it's just at erin gaudreau yeah i'm at erin gaudreau E R I N G O U D R E A U on twitter and then it's all in my bio, but we have a podcast called The Exclusion Zone, and then um, I do work with Western Montana DSA and be looking out for University of Montana Y-DSA, which several of us are getting started at UM. Excellent.
0: Nice. Awesome. Thanks very much. And as the audience knows, you can follow us in a wide variety of social media. Find us on Twitter, uh, at Liquid Flannel. We're on YouTube. Check out our Facebook page. Um, anywhere else? Where else are we at, guys?
2: yeah soundcloud uh, itunes leave us a review it's great
0: yep sounds good and as always you can follow us individually on twitter as well you can find me at shaggy2trope brendan where can they find you
1: i'm at brenda williams with one l
0: and matt where are you at i'm at matt the great with w excellent thanks again everybody and we'll see you next week
3: You know, we were just talking about plain states, the Dakotas, and how they sometimes fly under the radar for their, the crazy conservatism that exists there, and like Tommy Lawrence from South Dakota, just as an example. Yeah, she's right. from Rapid City.